Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and yours, whether you're happy or sad. For those of you who were listening to me over the last week, filling in for Greg, who've been listening to me do this show, listening to me the years I've been on this radio station, back before it was 93.1 FM, it was 107.9. I love to have a silly good time, to sometimes go to very odd places. To sort of fight my own demons, if I'm being incredibly honest. With sarcasm and a cynical pose. And of course moments I try of grace. And me personally, I'm doing great. Life is beautiful. It really is a wonderful life. But after today's show, after today's shows, you know, hearing from the Gospels, the reason for so many for this season at the end of the Dan Moore show. Hearing the prophecy fulfilled. Or at least we're beginning the story where, where it will be fulfilled. And as y'all know, I have my doubts. But it's such a powerful, beautiful story. And then the displays of love today by this radio audience. And in this world, money runs the world, along with other things. But money's just the vehicle... For wanting to help somebody. Greg's right. It feels like Bedford Falls. It feels like a loving community. That will run into the fires to help whoever is in pain. But that's the funny thing about love. Maybe the tragic thing about love. 
all the people that walked up to this station with donations for Sherry Rowland's funeral to help out her husband, Keith. An incredible gesture of love and community. But there's no denying the feeling. I could see it in the eyes of people who walked up. I can feel it in my eyes now. Love can be incredibly painful. What does the song say? It's not a victory march, but a cold and broken alleluia. The wounds, the scars of love are a real thing. So with a very heavy and scarred heart, my heart goes out to you, Keith Rowland. And you'll have your own journey. I would suggest to you, just as a humble suggestion, to embrace the melancholy. To face the pain. Don't put up walls. Try to find the beauty of all the things you shared with Sherry. Even if it hurts the most. But you may make mistakes along the way and that's okay. I certainly did. You know, somebody told my dad some advice. Don't fall in love with the first person who brings you a casserole at the funeral. Which is to say, when you are going through such pain, you're incredibly vulnerable. People want to help you. People want to save you. Well, my dad heeded that advice, but I didn't. I didn't after my mom passed, and I thought... I could put up walls and only just give a little peek here and there over the radio airwaves. And I thought, oh, I could maybe distract myself by falling in love with somebody. And I'm not going to tell that long, tragic story itself, but uh, she put up walls too. She had her own baggage, her own damage, her own tragedies to deal with. So it's going to be a long, hard road. But I remember a few months after my mom had passed, a month or two after this person I thought who could distract me, like I was going to relive the stupid plot of that sappy romantic comedy, Elizabethtown, 
movie about a man who's about to commit suicide, but his father dies. And then the loving people of a local community, Elizabethtown, Kentucky, make him realize how beautiful life is. In particular, one woman makes him realize how beautiful life can be. I thought, oh, maybe I'll get to live out that narrative, that storyline. Well, no. But I did have friends, and I still have these friends. I'll get to see two of them tonight when I go home. And they wisely realized I needed to be distracted. In a good way, though. To get away from Montgomery. So we go down to a beach house, and we have a long night of drinking and eating good food and playing a long game of risk. As I... Especially as more alcohol got into me, because that's how I was self-medicating, to be honest. So I would share my pains, and they would try to console me and tell me, Joey, don't go down that path. But sometimes it's hard to talk somebody out of their almost uh, mania. And so we all go to bed. Game of Risk, as always, never got finished. And I woke up. Right at the crack of dawn. And I grabbed my jug of Carlo Rossi. The crappiest wine in the world. And I walked alone. About 50 yards out the back door, down a little path to a little dock. I had a swing, a bench swing. Poured myself a glass of that crap wine and looked out over the horizon. And I felt terrible. I was trying to keep it closed in. Trying to put up more and more walls. Don't don't feel. Don't give in to the feeling. For a second, I had a moment of clarity. Looking at the sunrise over the bay. You know how it is, how the light dances on the ocean water and the brackish mix. And I thought, how can something be so beautiful and strike me as so sublime while I feel so terrible? I thought of this poem from this degenerate drunk poet after he lost his loved one, I kneel at night in front of tigers and they will not leave me be. And I thought for a moment, oh, I literally thought that, well, oh, what is mom going to think when I go home and I'm in this sad state and then I realize she's not at home? 
I think all of you who have lost somebody near and dear to you, whether a child or a parent or a spouse or a dear friend, you know what I'm talking about, those sort of shadows that'll sneak up on you. But the good news is, is that if you let the beauty of this world tear down those walls, and it might be painful, if you allow yourself to feel all the good and the bad, you'll be better off for it. And that it was all worth it. And it is all worth it. That joy and pain aren't these, oh, you only get to have wonderful times and then the pain is something we always put off. The suffering is always something we put off. But no, the wounds of love is a very real thing. And we should face it head on. It's a bitter irony. Before my mom ever was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, how would I respond if somebody I love died of that disease, you know, would it be faith, or hope, be doubt or skepticism, explain it in some material sense? Well, this is probably what caused the cancer. It's a genetic mutation or whatever. But when you go through it, and so many of the people that have donated to help out Keith and Sherry, so many of them have gone through it. Your world is turned upside down. So I really am doing well personally, but after today, I, I feel the wounds of love. I feel the pain. And it's okay to feel that. You know, sitting on that dock, there was a moment where I wish I could, those tigers would tear me apart down to the smallest particle. And I could be strewn into the ocean, all into the sunset. And I realized we're on borrowed time. That one day that will come. From dust you came and to dust you will return. But because of all this sadness, because life can be tragic and we can endure so much suffering, that's why we have something like Christmas. To remind you that there's a point to all this. And that the pain of love is worth it. Because love, not to sound too fanciful, is an eternal thing. So as I promised, Keith, I'm going to read a story I read 
on air the Christmas after my mom died in the summer of 2015. The story is called The Selfish Giant. Story of a creature who put up walls. Just know, Keith, there are a lot of people who love you. And for any of you out there whose name I don't know, who are going through a tough time this Christmas, if you let down the walls, I know it can be a scary thing because we've been taught that people are nasty and brute. Brutes. But if you let down the walls, the right people will come in. And they'll breathe life into whatever it is we call life. So coming back, we'll hear the tale of the selfish giant. It's the last thing I ever read to my mom. And I heard that Sherry liked it. So this one's for you, Sherry. I'll be back in just one moment. Joey Clark. Welcome back. This story is called The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. The last time I read it, I was on these airwaves, and the time before that, sitting next to my mom's bed at home. Every afternoon, as they were coming from school, the children used to go and play in the giant's garden. It was a large, lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there over the grass stood beautiful flowers like stars. And there were twelve peach trees that in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat on the trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. How happy we are here, they cried to each other. One day, the giant came back. He had been to visit his friend, the Cornish ogre, and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all that he had had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. What are you doing here? He cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. 
My own garden is my own garden, said the giant. Anyone can understand that. And I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. So he built a high wall all around it and put up a notice board. Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander around the high wall when their lessons were over and talk about the beautiful garden inside. How happy we were there, they said to each other. Then the spring came, and all over the country were little blossoms and little birds. Only in the garden of the selfish giant, it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, but when it saw the notice board, it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost. Spring has forgotten this garden, they cried. So we will live here all year round. The snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak. And the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind to stay with them and he came. He was wrapped in furs and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. This is a delightful spot, he said. We must ask the hail to visit. So the hail came. Every day for three hours he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates. And then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in gray and his breath was like ice. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming, said the selfish giant as he sat at the window and looked out at his cold white garden. I hope there will be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. He is too selfish, she said. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning the giant was lying awake in bed when he heard some lovely music. It sounded so sweet to his ears that it, he thought it, it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little bird singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. 
Then the hail stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind ceased roaring, and a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. I believe the spring has come at last, said the giant, and he jumped out of bed and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see, there was a little child. And the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight, and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene. Only in one corner was it still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. Climb up, little boy, said the tree, and it bent its branches down as low as it could. But the boy was too tiny. And the giant's heart melted as he looked out. How selfish I have been, he said. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will put that little boy on the top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall, and my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. He was really very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they all ran away. And the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand and put him up into the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossom. And the birds came and sang on it. And the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them round the giant's neck and kissed him. And the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back. And with them came the spring. It is your garden now, little children, said the giant. And he took a great axe and knocked down the wall. 
And when the people were going to market at 12 o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played. And in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. But where is your little companion, he said. The boy I put into the tree. The giant loved him the best because he had kissed him. We don't know, answered the children. He has gone away. You must tell him to be sure and come here tomorrow, said the giant. But the children said that they did not know where he lived and had never seen him before. And the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon, when school was over, the children came and played with the giant. But the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children, and he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How I would like to see him! He used to say. Years went over. And the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about anymore. So he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, he said. But the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter, one winter morning, he looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that this was merely the spring asleep and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder and looked and looked and looked. It certainly was a marvelous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were golden and silver fruit hung down from them, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and came near to the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails. And the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who hath dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay him. 
Nay, answered the child. But these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant. And a strange awe fell on him. And he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant and said to him, You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms. That is a story called The Selfish Giant. Written by Oscar Wilde for children. But the wounds of love are very real. And we want to respond to that love with anger, with despair. We want the party always to keep going. We never want the lights to go out, never want the booze to dry up, never want all our little distractions to go away. We want our joys to be eternal and our pain to go away in a flash of a moment. But that's not how it works. I still carry with me the way my mom raised me. If I'm honest, I don't think of her as like somewhere else. This is just me. I think she's here. Not like in the room, but like in this voice I have, in the things I believe. A huge part of whatever, call it my conscience. And it makes me think about sitting on the dock of that bay, having that thought that I wish I could be torn to pieces and strewn over this sunset. It seems so peaceful. That all this that I am is borrowed. You know, a wise man said thousands of years ago, why should I fear that which is by definition something that exists when I don't? Essentially, why should I fear my own death? When death's here... I'm not. When I'm here, death's not here. The toughest thing I think we go through in life is the death of somebody we love. But if we can realize that pain, those wounds, 
were made by love, again, it makes it all worth it. I mean, you have the weirdest thoughts when somebody you dearly love dies. Like, we don't have a second thought when you hear about some death as a statistic. I mean, there are too many people in the world who, you know, personally get choked up about everybody who does the living and dying on this planet. And sometimes you wish... When you're going through your deep melancholy, when you lose somebody, when you're thinking about them at Christmas, and you know everybody in your family's missing them too and wishing they were there because they had such a powerful impact on everybody. Sometimes you wish, ah, I wish they had been selfish. I wish they had been a bad person so I wouldn't feel this bad, which is a crazy thought, but it's true. tends to work itself out. That the more loving somebody is towards us, that the more valuable somebody is for us, that the best people in this world Well, their passing is the toughest to bear. Again, if we realize this is built out of that love, that we didn't have anything to lose in the first place. I would much rather have something beautiful and wonderful and impactful to lose in the first place. And to never have had something like that at all. And each person goes through their sorrow in their own way. You might go through a dark night of the soul. You might want to have a moment to yourself. You might want to go out and meet new friends and maybe try to distract yourself. People go through it in, again, all sorts of different ways. But eventually you'll come through it. Especially if you have hope. You'll come through it. You know, I mentioned that drunk, degenerate poet. And he wrote about how, well, when he lost his loved one, that when you left, you took everything. I kneel in the nights before tigers that will not let me be. What you were will not happen again. What you were will not happen again. And we can either take that in a despairing way or we can realize as I have about especially my mother but we'll all face it someday that eternity doesn't happen after we die ladies and gentlemen it's right now we're caught up in it and some from the deepest hurt and pain to the beautiful natural pleasures of life because hopefully and I'm talking to you in particular Keith you'll remember there's such a thing as I can go pick up a puppy and take care of it 
I can share a beer or a soft drink. I don't know what your situation is. I can share great meals with people I love. There is such a thing as milk and cookies. There is such a thing as laughter that can make you laugh at the things that you're hurting about the most. But at the end of the day, it comes back to how I began. Don't put up walls like I did. And realize that it's all right when love begins to hurt. That if that pain you're experiencing is coming from a place of love, then you're doing it right. And today, River Region, Montgomery, though I've maybe talked down or bad about you before, I'll tell you what, Montgomery, and people who listen to this radio station, you did it right today. You did it right. When we just help the person right in front of us, we can do amazing things. So though I might sound sorrowful tonight, because we're talking about such a sorrowful subject, life is wonderful. And though your heart might be heavy and torn to pieces, don't just say it as a greeting. Let a little bit of Merry Christmas sneak in and tear down your walls. Good night, everybody. Merry Christmas. I'll be back next week. And only God knows what type of show it'll be. But for tonight and for the rest of the weekend be with the ones you love whether they're here or not you can be with the ones you love and nobody nothing can ever take that away <laughs>